You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 31 tonight, which is the last chapter of 1 Samuel. You remember that Saul has, uh, he's facing this huge army of Philistines who have driven deep into Israelite territory up the Jezreel Valley, and he and his men are camped at Mount Gilboa, which is on the uh, southeastern end of that valley, and they're really in for it here. And Saul inquired of the Lord, but not earnestly. And he didn't hear from God, and therefore he turned to this person that we refer to as the witch of Endor, or a medium, and Samuel came up and told him, came up from the grave, and told him, uh, Saul, you and your sons are going to die in this battle. And then we, we went over to David, who was actually joining the Philistine forces to come against the people of God. We don't know if he would have turned on them in this battle or if he would have actually fought, but he was in a place where we really don't know. He may have fought with the Philistines against God's people because he had been really in a backslidden state, as far as we can tell, for the last year and a half, living amongst the Philistines. But God, in his grace gave him disfavor with the other Philistine kings. They sent him and his army away. They came home to Ziklag to find it burned to the ground, and all their their family and their belongings were taken, and the men then wanted to kill David, and it was a time of despair and distress for him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord, and he inquired of the Lord earnestly, And God answered him and told him, go and pursue and you will recover all. And so he did. And by God's grace, all of their families were spared. They recovered all of their stuff and then some. And they were able to share those spoils with his friends in the southern towns in the area of Judah and position himself to become the next king. And it was really God positioning him for this. It was God's grace. It was God's mercy. And it was amazing. And this is the kind of grace we want in our lives, isn't it? And we want to be people like David who respond very quickly when we slip away from the Lord and he's got to bring discipline into our lives. We want to, man, we want to come back to Jesus fast and watch him do miracles and bring healing and recovery. Hallelujah. And so now we're going back to Saul and the armies of Israel. And it says here in 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. You see, they became terrified and they fled. The people are a reflection of their leader. Remember that just the day before, the night before, we saw Saul trembling in fear. 
and unable to eat as he seeks counsel from a medium because of his desperation. And so that heart is going to be transferred to the people. The people follow leadership, and if leaders are fearful and uncourageous, so the people will be. And so they lose in this battle. They flee, and they're slain on Mount Gilboa. This is the place where they were encamped. So verse 2, Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. The enemy is relentless. And our enemy, the devil, and his demons are relentless. They will not give up. They will pursue. If they see us on the run... They will come after us with no compassion, with no mercy. And so it says in the middle of verse 2, And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. Saul's sons. There is one remaining son left to Saul. His name is Ishbosheth, and he would become the next king. Uh, in the northern tribes of Israel, as David would be crowned king in the south. And this would go on for a time until the kingdom was consolidated all in one under David. Now we see that name Jonathan killed among the brothers. And our hearts just sink for him to go this way. And we might ask why. You know, why, why, Lord? Why did you do this to Jonathan, who's been such a faithful friend and who was such a great counselor for David and even stood up to his own dad over the issue of David? The consensus seems to be among Bible scholars that God was clearing the way for David to become king and have a smooth transition that, well, with, with Jonathan around, it could really introduce some complications. If he has a group of people that support him and want to see him become king, it would be too problematic, perhaps, for him. And it would create problems, and he would be very effective in coming against David if that were to happen. But we have to ask, well, would Jonathan really do this? He was such, there was no indication in his life that, that he would do such a thing. He was so loyal, so trustworthy, and he had so much to offer. He even said to David, David, don't worry. My dad's not going to prevail. You're going to be king someday, and I'm going to be at your side. You see, he saw himself as being one of David's servants, his subjects, and he, you know, he would have been so valuable. He could have perhaps even helped David in some of those times where he failed. Could have been that voice in his ear saying, brother, friend, don't do this. Kind of like Abigail when, he was, when David was about to kill Nabal and all the men in the family. And Abigail came and interceded and said, hey, don't do this. This is foolishness. And David listened. Wouldn't a voice like Jonathan be so helpful for King David? And so we continue to ask, why? And I would say with this pastor that I watched a sermon from this week, Daniel Batarse, I think is how you say his name. You know, I don't know. 
I agree with him. I don't know why God, God would do this. And sometimes we just don't know. We don't have an answer. Why would the Lord take that dad away from that family and those little kids and leave that mom to struggle on her own? Why would God do that? Why would God take that, that little baby and bring so much heartache and pain or allow so much heartache and pain? I don't know. We don't know. We know that there's sin in the world. We know that we're living in a fallen world. We know that when Adam bit into that fruit that Eve had already eaten and gave to him, that it brought sin and death into the world, and sin and death are damaging, and they're damning. And so it brought hurt, and it brought pain, and it brought perplexity and confusion as we see tragedies happen to those we love and in our own lives. And we might ask why. And oftentimes, we don't know. Chuck Smith always said, when we don't know, we lean on what we do know. And we know that God is good. We know that God is just. We know that God knows so much more than we do that it makes total sense to him. He has the perfect perspective and he sees everything from the beginning to the end. He knows what's best. He's in control. He is sovereign. He has said that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we see in the book of Revelation the angels crying out, holy is the Lord. Just and righteous are his works. And so we can say that that's what we do know, even though we don't understand the circumstances always, and they don't make sense. Isaiah 57, 1 says, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. You see, God sometimes will take somebody home to deliver them from an evil, dark world. And it's actually a merciful act for the righteous, for the righteous. There's this kind of obscure story in the Bible. It's in 1 Kings 14. And there's this king named Jeroboam. And he has a child who's sick. And Jeroboam's one of these evil kings. He had separated from Rehoboam. And he became king in the northern part of Israel. And he, he didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem to worship down there in the south. He wanted them to stay up in his country. So he made a golden calf for them to worship. And he just went away from the Lord and led the people away from the Lord. And so God was judging him. And he had a son who became ill. And he wanted to know what was going to happen to his son. So he had his wife go to this prophet named Ahijah to inquire of the Lord and find out what was going to happen to his son. And it says this in 1 Kings 14.12. After Ahijah actually told Jeroboam's wife that 
Jeroboam's family is going to get destroyed, that they're not even going to get a proper burial, that the dogs are going to eat their feet and their hands, and this, this kind of death is going to happen to them. But he goes on to say to the wife who's inquiring, Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. That can't be good news for a mother. Verse 13, And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. God is actually taking this little child with dignity to spare him the indignity of what would happen if God didn't take him in this way. It was actually a merciful act from God and this prophet is sharing this from the Lord to this mom. This is what's best for this child because God sees something good in this baby. And so, hey, we get an answer to that question. This mom could have been thinking, why, why, why? And God's saying, because I know everything and I know that this is actually what's best for this baby. What's best for the baby. So I want to encourage you guys with that. Now Hebrews 11, verse 37. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, and it lists all these different people who had great faith in the Lord, but the emphasis is really on, hey, these people who had great faith, they were just passing through. They were looking towards a city not made with hands. They were looking towards the eternal. They were looking towards heaven and in Hebrews eleven thirty seven, it speaks of these prophets and how they were persecuted and it says that they were stoned they were sawn in two were tempted were slain with the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not worthy the world was not worthy. So God took him home. Took him home. When Mike Modelmog, who was the principal of our school after Pastor Louis was the principal of our school, when he went home to be with the Lord, it was Hebrews 11 that God put on my heart to share at his memorial service. As I thought about him and his dedication to the Lord, his dedication to his work, the impact that he had in my life from third grade. I was going to a public school, having a hard time, was on a wrong trajectory there in second grade. <laughs> and my parents said, we need to get these kids over to Christian school. And so they put us at Prince of Peace Lutheran School, where Mike Monomog was my third grade teacher. My life turned around that year, totally turned around. I just started following Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. And so here was a man of faith of whom the world was not worthy. Friends, the only reason that God keeps any of us in this world is, is to be a light to those who aren't saved yet. And so let's, let's take that calling seriously. Let's be that example. Let's realize that we're just foreigners here. We're passing through. And as saved people, 
who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who are part of the family of God, we have an inheritance in the heavens that we look forward to. Amen? It's going to be awesome. We're just passing through, and we could actually say that this world is not worthy of us as saints who are forgiven and cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And so let's not forget what awaits believers when they pass. A heavenly reward. Jesus Christ himself saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And we get a crown of righteousness that will not fade away. Hallelujah. And so this is Jonathan, friends. This is Jonathan. We don't know why, but we know that God, who knows all, made that determination that this is what's best for Jonathan and for everyone else involved. It's appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment key operating word there is appointed. We each have an appointment with eternity. And if we're saved, it's a good appointment that we can look forward to even and go, Lord, my last breath here is my first breath in heaven with you. Hallelujah. And so, let's go on to, again, chapter 31, 1 Samuel 31, verse 3 now. It says, the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And so Saul, perhaps thinking back to the story of Samson and how they, the Philistines took Samson, they gouged out his eyes. Oh man, that's brutal. Made him grind at the millstone instead of the animals. And he's thinking, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want these guys to torture me and abuse me. He's thinking here about his own reputation and his own legacy, his memory. Now, we could be very critical of that, thinking, yeah, that's kind of Saul, isn't it? Always thinking about himself, <laughs> even in this moment, trying to protect his reputation, trying to protect his family legacy. No one's going to take over my crown because it's going to go on to my son Jonathan, and I'm going to have a dynasty, and the house of Saul will rule for generations, even though God has said no. And now here he is in his death still trying to protect his honor and his reputation rather than turning to God and crying out to God and crying for mercy and asking for forgiveness and getting right with God in his last moments. God even told him the night before, this is it, man. You got one more day. And now he's wounded by the archers. He's bleeding out. He knows he's going to die and he just wants to get it over with. Instead of saying, I think it's time to make my peace with God. 
And that's too bad. This is a sad story, friends, right to the bitter end for Saul. Such a good beginning, such a great start, such a horrible end. And so it says in verse 5, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 4 again, that Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. His armor bearer had the fear of God in him. He would not touch the Lord's anointed. He wouldn't do it. Saul himself had lost this fear and reverence and respect for God, but his armor bearer had not. And then it says, Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Verse 5, And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. This was a total slaughter. The army has been decimated there on Mount Gilboa, except for 600 men. 600 men who left the armies of Saul and followed God's anointed King David and sacrificed years of their lives running around in the wilderness, trying to scrape by, trying to take care of their families, coming near death on many occasions. It was a tough time there in the wilderness for these 600 men. But now, now that Saul and his army are slaughtered, King David's going to be elevated to the position of king and the promise fulfilled. And what do you think is going to happen with these 600 men? Joab is going to be the captain of the army. And these men, many of them, will be David's mighty men, the men of renown. They're going to be rewarded, rewarded as David becomes king. And so it is with us. As we're kind of in the wilderness, if you will, going through this life, struggling along, trying to be a light for Jesus, going through this trial, that trial, this hardship, that hardship. Yes, enjoying the blessings, but friends, there's a reward for us who have stepped away from the world and followed Jesus and have said, though none go with me, still I will follow and even if it's going to be a trial and a difficulty and a sacrifice, I'm going to follow Jesus to the bitter end. I will follow Jesus. And there is great reward. And so hang in there, friends. Hang on to Jesus. Stay close to him. And know that there is great reward in the end. Verse 7. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. So they become refugees you know, from the cities that the Philistines are coming to take over and they go and flee across the Jordan into other places and they've lost. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And this is what happens today. When an army comes in and the people are threatened, they leave a town, the enemy comes in, takes over the town, 
and other people come and live in those homes. And so that's what's happening here with the Philistines. Verse 8, so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And so this is a day of celebration for the Philistines. The king of their enemy has been destroyed, and they're going to make sure that they spread this good news and that they send a message to the Israelites that this is what happens to people who mess with us and with our God. Because our God is better. And so they cut off his head and take his armor. And it's a horrible, sad thing. And, And the people celebrate the death of Saul and his sons. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.